Well, for those of you that are visiting with us today, we're in a series where we're going through the, the book of Romans together, or the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 5, okay? Now, if you don't have your Bible here today, maybe you forgot it or something like that. Uh, all of the verses are inside your program that we put together for you each week. There's no fill in the blanks. I, I just give you uh, the point. I just give it to you. That way you can really focus on uh, what I'm, I'm sharing. And all the verses will come up on the jumbotrons, even the jumbotrons in the venue. And also, if you're watching online, they'll come up. But if you don't own a Bible, uh, one of the things that we would enjoy doing is giving you a Bible if you don't have one. And all you have to do is when we're done, go into the altar room, which is right over here. Uh, there's one, there's an altar room over in the venue or come down here on Monday if you're watching online or listening on the radio or whatever. And we give away lots of Bibles. And it would just be an honor for Big Valley Grace to put into your hand a copy of the Word of God so that you could read it anytime you wanted to. In the mornings when you wake up and you're having coffee on your lunch hours, at night before you go to bed, you as an individual or as a couple or family could have your own um, uh, Bible. Um, one of the things that we do here each weekend is we have what we call a Not Ashamed video. And if you're visiting, as you know, it's a big church and we got all kinds of gatherings Saturday night, today, over in the venue, next hour here at the venue. And these Not Ashamed videos are a way for us to, 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 to see maybe a vignette of the life of somebody in our church and how the Lord is working in their life. And they've all been so different and unique and certainly that's the case here this morning. So look at the Jumbotrons and let's watch this week's Not Ashamed video. I've kind of grown up at Big Valley. I've been there for almost 20 years now. And as I grew up, I was involved in uh, a lot of the ministries at Big Valley. I started to realize that my heart was really um, gravitating towards global missions. So I began to talk with the REACH team about it and they decided to send me on a short-term trip to South Africa. And uh, the day I got there, I knew that this was something I loved. And they sent me on another trip to Kenya and I just kept going to work for some of our missionaries that Bay Valley supports. I'm seeing how hard it is to be a missionary and that there are a lot of very unique things to that kind of a life. And when you are in those positions, you get put on a pedestal and sometimes you feel like you can't talk about some of the struggles in those positions. And before I knew what was happening, I realized that I wanted to reach out to people in ministry, to people that are missionaries, that are working in the field. And um, in 2015, I completely came off of the ministry and mission field to come home and start college all over again so that I could get a degree in psychology and do pastoral counseling. I didn't know what to expect when I started coming to MJC. I was nervous. I didn't know if I'd relate to everybody. It's kind of a very different culture than the one I was getting used to. In the past, I have been ridiculed um, in front of the entire class by professors over my faith, and I was nervous about being real and being myself and living that out in this environment. Faculty members have come to me and said, hey, I see something special in you. I'd like to mentor you through school. 
And as we began that kind of a relationship, they would ask me, what's different about me? And, and why, why have I spent the last couple years in Africa? What have I been doing traveling all over? And um, at first I was nervous about that because I was afraid to be stereotyped and categorized. I would just tell people at first, oh, I just worked for some nonprofits in Africa. I was working in a nonprofit. And after I started saying that, it really bothered me. I was very convicted for about a week um, that I had not been completely honest about that situation. I went back to some of the faculty members and even some of my peers and said, the reason why I was traveling and doing so much overseas was because I was a missionary. It's because of my relationship with Jesus that I choose to go and and to, to serve other people in that way. And that just really changed the relationship with um, several of my professors. And they um, began to, to really respect me and I didn't see that coming. And um, they began to want to spend more time with me. And as we've been learning to just do life alongside each other, they've been asking me some deep questions about um, stories in scripture or who Jesus is. I care deeply about them and it's out of that relationship that they can respect and listen to what I might have to say to them. And before I knew what was happening, I realized recently that that um, there's really not always such a thing as a mission field. It's just about being the flesh of Jesus Christ in a world where people desperately need Him and need the hope that He offers. And it's been kind of a beautiful lesson to learn and I'm excited about seeing what the next four years of school brings. My name is Elizabeth Neches, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, for those of us that know uh, Liz, she's just one crazy young gal who has served the Lord faithfully around here at Big Valley Grace for a long, long time. And I appreciate the fact that she would share her story once again, our, our video crew, you guys are unbelievable. Thank you for all the time and energy you put into those to make them special. Well, let me begin uh, today's message by giving you a, a really brief overview of the Bible because I think it'll help lay the foundation for where um, I, I think the Lord wants us to go today. It'll get us all on the same page. And that's important to me, especially if you're visiting with us. It's one thing for me to say, hey, we're all in Romans chapter five, and maybe you've been here for, throughout the whole thing, and you get it. But I know that we have people that are here for the first time, and I, I want you to feel like you understand where we're at, and so it's important for me to lay a foundation. I know it drives some of you up a wall. Um, and I kind of like that too, just to be straight up, just to be straight up with you. I like bugging you. Um, I wanna give you six truths. These are six uh, theological or major truths that you find in the scriptures, and I'm gonna fly through them, okay? And the first one is this. The first major theological truth is that you were made in God's image. In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapters one and two, we read about God creating everything and then he gets to human beings, he gets to Adam and Eve, and the Bible tells us that we, human beings, were created in God's image. 
God created everything. He created porcupines and whales and worms and, you know, trout and eagles and all of that. He created everything. But the Bible says that human beings are very unique. They're very special because they were actually created in the very image of God. And, and that's, that's good news. Theological truth number two is when Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, it brought sin into the hearts of every human being that's ever lived. So the, the Bible opens up in Genesis 1 and 2 with this beautiful story of God creating everything. He creates human life in his image. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3 and everything changes. It's in Genesis chapter 3 where the very first you know, human being that ever lived disobeyed God. He sinned against God. He rebelled against God. God asked him not to eat from a, a particular tree in the Garden of Eden. And Adam said, God, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want me to do. I want to be the CEO of my own life. I want to lead my own life. I don't want to submit to you, God. I want to do life my own way. And at that very moment in Genesis 3, when Adam disobeys God, it had a cataclysmic effect on every single human being that's ever lived since, and that includes you. Sin has now impacted all of our lives, which brings me to the third truth, and that is this, sin brought God's wrath upon your life. This is bad news. When Adam sinned in the garden, it killed our relationship with him. It messed up our relationship with him. In fact, it has so messed up some of your relationship with him that some of you are here this morning, maybe you're over in the venue, you're watching online, listening on the radio. It has so messed up your relationship with him, you don't even believe in him anymore. That's how powerful sin is. It has the power to somehow make you believe that there isn't even a God. That somehow maybe two molecules got together a billion years ago or whatever it is that you happen to believe. The worst thing about sin is that it, it brought God's wrath, it brought God's judgment upon our lives. Uh, truth number four, theological truth number four is, is you don't have the power to fix the problem of sin. When Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3 and sin entered into the world, nobody has the power to fix the problem of sin. Nobody. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care what your GPA was in high school or college. You do not have the power to restore the relationship that was severed because of sin. You can't pull it off. You can't be a good enough person to, to somehow fix the problem of sin. You can't keep the Ten Commandments and somehow that makes you right before God. There is nothing you can do. You do not have the power to fix the problem of sin. All of us are doomed because of sin. Our sin, think about this, God's holy and he's pure and he's righteous. How in the world could he have any kind of fellowship with us, human beings who are unrighteous and unholy, 
who are unpure? How could there possibly be any fellowship between us sinful people and this holy and righteous God? It's our sin that has messed up uh, our relationship with God. Uh, Truth number five, because God loves you, he created you, he promised to send you a savior that had the power to fix the problem of sin. So here we have Genesis 1 and 2, this beautiful story. God creates everything. He creates us in his image. Genesis 3, Adam sins and brought sin into the world. And because we were loved by God, because we were his special creation, from Genesis chapter 3 on is the story of God saying, I love you, I care about you, I will send the Savior. I will send a Messiah. I will send the gospel, the good news. And the gospel or the good news, the Messiah or the Savior, he'll have the power to fix the problem of sin. In Romans chapter 1, our very first lesson uh, a couple of months ago says this in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. What Paul is telling us right there in verse 1 of Romans 1 is that the gospel or the good news wasn't something that you know, comes onto the scene here in uh, six more Sundays. Six Sundays. We celebrate Christmas. What Paul is telling us there is that the gospel or the good news was promised throughout all of the Old Testament. All of the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, whoever they were, they all promised that the Messiah was going to come, the Savior was going to come, the good news was going to come, the the gospel is going to come. And then in verse 3, Paul says the good news is about his son, In other words, the gospel is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He was going to be the one that had the power to fix the problem of sin. Then you get to truth number uh, six, God's son, Jesus, the, the gospel, the good news has come and died and rose again to make everything right between you and God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God. In other words, the power that sin had over a person is is done away with when they believe that Jesus sacrificed sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Beloved, as great as the miracles are of Jesus, none of his miracles save you. You're not saved because of the miracles of God. We get to read some of the beautiful teachings of Jesus, and they are beautiful, but his teachings don't save you. What saves you is his blood. He had to shed his blood. It's the shedding of the Messiah's blood. It's the shedding of the Savior's blood, the gospel's blood, the good news' blood. That's what saves us. We're made right with God when we believe that Jesus was the Savior, the Messiah, and we invite him into our lives. We surrender our life over to him. 
We say, God, I can't save myself and I'm doomed outside of you and so please, I need your son. I need your son in my life. And at that moment, you're made right with God. Truth number seven, when you surrender your life over to Jesus, when you surrender your life over to the gospel or the good news, he comes and he lives within you. And this is a, a, a real major theological truth that every believer needs to know and understand that at the moment you invite Christ into your life, at the moment you say, God, I don't want to be the CEO of my life anymore. I recognize I'm doomed apart from you. And so I humbly submit myself to you. You come into my life. At that moment, he does that. He comes into your life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who was given to you by God? You, Christian, become the very house that God lives in. And he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. At the moment you give your life to Christ, the, 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 the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity comes into your life. You, you become the temple of God. When you leave here in a little bit and go enjoy the concert or go have brunch or whatever it is you're gonna do, God doesn't stay in this building waiting for you to show up here next Sunday. The Bible says that God doesn't indwell, you know, a building made with man's hands. You, Christian, are the very place that God lives, which is why everything is made right between you and God. It's why God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. It's why you've been justified. Because when the Father now looks down on your life, he no longer sees your sin. He sees his Son who lives in you. If God looks down on your life and he doesn't see his Son in your life, the Savior, the Messiah, the Gospel, the Good News, you're doomed. Because all he sees is your sin. That's what he sees. And it's your sin that brought the wrath of God upon your life. But if you've accepted Christ, he comes and lives in you. And now the Father looks down and you've been made right with him. Because you have the, the gospel in your life. Now, as great as this truth is, the fact that you have Christ in you and God now sees you just as if you'd never sinned. There are tons of other truths that the Bible tells us go along with a relationship with Jesus. And this gets us into our message uh, today. In Romans chapter five, Paul begins to unpack a number of really cool benefits of having a relationship with Jesus. When you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ, if that decision was truly genuine, not only did that make everything right between you and God, but as I said, it comes with a number of really just unbelievable benefits. So let's read our passage for today, okay? Romans chapter five, you're all there. We're gonna, look, we're gonna start in verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, I talked uh, last week in about three of these great benefits, really only two of them, and just want to remind you of them. And I know you're looking at your note sheets and you're probably going, man, how's he going to get through all this? I'm not. That's why I just give you the answers. That way you can go home and you can look at it for yourself and... But we'll get through enough of it, okay? Last week I shared with you, because of your relationship with Jesus, you have peace with God. We find that in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, we've been made right with God, guess what? We now have peace with God. That's one of the great benefits. If there's one person you don't want to be at war with, it's God. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you may not understand it. You you may not realize this, but the Bible says you're at war with him. And it's only through a relationship with his son that peace comes. And let me tell you something. Um, When you know that there's peace between you and God, that just gives you a lot of peace in your life. I wake up in the morning knowing that everything's okay between God and I. There's peace between God and I. Number two, because of your relationship with Jesus, you have access to God. See, here's the deal. Because of our sin and his holiness and righteousness, God, there there just can't be any fellowship. We can't have access to this holy God because of our sin. But once you know Christ is your savior, and now that you've been justified and peace has come, God says, you know what, you have access to me. You can come to me anytime you want. You can talk to me anytime you want. In fact, you can come boldly to my throne. All throughout the scriptures, God invites his people, you Christian, to come and make supplication. Come and ask for things. You have, you have access to God now. An unbelievable benefit that we now have. Number three, because of your relationship with Jesus, you have a future in glory. And I didn't really get to cover this much last week. I did a little bit. Uh, verse two, the last part of verse two says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And this means a lot of things, this little phrase, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But one of the main things that it means is that we as believers have the great benefit of knowing that no matter what happens in this life, no matter you know, how many problems we face or how many trials we go through, we know what the final outcome is gonna be. 
I know what happens to me when I take my final breath. I know I'm going to be with the Lord in glory. I know no matter what happens to me down here, no matter what happens with our new president, no matter what happens, all the chaos going on, I know what happens when I take my last breath. Because of my relationship with Jesus, peace has been made between me and God. God says, Rick, you have access to me. And here's the deal, Rick. When you take your last breath, and you will, it's the one appointment we all keep, right? Death. You don't have to put it in your day timer. You don't have to put it in your smartphone. You will take your last breath. And for those of us that know Christ, one of the great benefits is we have the knowledge, the truth that absent from the body, present with the Lord, I know where I'm going to go. It's one of the great benefits of knowing the Lord. It's the, the great hope that we have. And by the way, without the word of God, without the Bible, we wouldn't know any of these truths, would we? If God in his grace doesn't give us the word of God, we wouldn't know about any of these benefits. None of them. And it ought to be a motivating factor for those of you that know Christ to open this book and read this book and study this book and memorize this book and because it's in here that we find all these great benefits. It's why it's so important for all of you to have the word of God so that you can read it for yourself and be encouraged by all of the great things that God says about having a relationship with, with him. Jesus said this in John chapter four. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Isn't that awesome? We as believers ought to be the most joyful people on the planet, no matter what's happening in our lives. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. I know what happens to me when I die. I know where I'm going. Look, at my funeral, you know, I don't know what my family will do. Maybe it'll be an open casket and you come up, you look in there and, you know, and no, no, know where I am. I'm not in that box. Amen. I want you to rejoice. Hey, he's not there. He's in heaven. I do. I want you to, now some will rejoice because I'm gone, but I want you to rejoice <laughs> that, woo, he made it. He's in glory. Yeah. Now here's the deal. We do a lot of funerals around here. And yeah, they're sad. And we shed a lot of tears. But those tears are different. I'm sad because, man, I, I, I'm not going to see my friend until I get to heaven. But we rejoice. There, there, there are moments of celebration for, for believers. I ended last week by sharing this thought right before we received communion. Peace with God, first benefit, takes care of the past. God no longer holds your sins against you. Access to God takes care of the present. You personally can talk to God at any time for any reason. And hope of the glory of God takes care of the future. One day, you're going to spend your eternity 
with God. Now today, we're gonna look at two more, two more benefits, okay? Uh, Number four, because of your relationship with Jesus, your problems, the bummers of life, the trials of life, now have a purpose. Look at verse three. Paul says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know, Christians know, followers of Christ know, those that have given their lives to the gospel or the good news or the Messiah or the Savior, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. See, here's the deal. Just because you've been made right with God Just because you've been justified doesn't mean that you get to escape the trials of life. Just because you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean bummers aren't going to happen to you or people that you love. Yeah, everything's been made right with God. Yes, you have peace with God. Yes, you have access to God. Yes, when you die, you get to go to heaven. But you're still going to experience, you know, life. But for the believer, our problems, our trials all have a purpose behind them. For the believer, trials and troubles work for him, not against him. And that's only true for the believer. Now, beloved, I want you to remember this. No amount of suffering, no amount of trials or troubles can separate you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a good question. I think that's a good question. Every Christian ought to wonder that. Man, what what, what can separate me from God's love? I know I've been made right. I have peace with God. I have access. I know I'm going to heaven, but, but is there something that could possibly separate me? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or danger or the, or the sword? Verse 37 says, no, in all these things, we believers are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor any, uh, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is truth, beloved. Trials and troubles and problems don't separate you from God. When you're in the midst of a trial or a trouble or a bummer, don't ever think, well, you know, God must not love me anymore, you know. I must have done something so horrible that he just doesn't love me anymore. No, 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 no. There isn't anything that will separate you from the love of God. If the decision you made was genuine to invite Christ into your life, nothing can separate you from the love of God. But I do want to at least tell you a couple of reasons why God allows trials and troubles to come into your life. Number one, God uses problems, troubles, trials to expose you. In other words, God uses the troubles of life to help you see how sinful your heart really is. You see, it's easy to live a godly life when everything's good, right? 
We can easily deceive ourselves into thinking that somehow we've uh, arrived in our spiritual life, that there's really not any area of our lives that we need to work on. I was thinking back to a man that I knew well. Some of you, well, most of you in this room might remember him. He doesn't live in this state anymore. He's a very, very godly man. In fact, uh, I would have said he was like Jesus. I didn't know anybody more like Jesus than this man. And one day, this is a long time ago, we were, we were going to go have lunch down McHenry. And so he picked me up here at the church. And we get in his car and we make our way, you know, and heading down McHenry. And McHenry was packed full of cars. <laughs> and we were going to be late. And I could see him getting all rattled. He was just getting all upset. And there was just all kinds of tension and stuff in, in his life. And, um, and if that wasn't bad enough, he rear-ended somebody. <laughs> and that just sent him over the edge. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, that guy doesn't look like Jesus anymore. You know, something like that. I don't know what it was. Well, when we finally got to the restaurant, you know, we got out of the car and he said, hey, Rick, hold on a second. He said, do you think that Jesus would have responded the way, way I did? And he knew what the answer was. And he said, wow, I remember, I remember this. He said, wow. That really exposed an area in my life I need to work on, didn't it? And I remember thinking, wow, that, that's, that's, a, that's the way we're supposed to look at these things. He didn't lose his salvation because he wasn't kind or patient or gentle or whatever it was. God didn't stop loving him. He was still right before God and he still had peace with God. He still had access to God. He was still gonna go to heaven when he died, but this problem, this trial was now being used in his life to expose an area of his life that he needed to work on. Galatians chapter five says this, but the fruit of the spirit, see, remember I told you when you invited the Lord into your life, you became the house of God. You became the temple of God. All of a sudden, you invite Jesus into your life, and the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of that moment, him being in you, he says is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, that's who moved into the house, Christian. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me ask you a question. When, when you're caught in a traffic jam, what comes out of you? Are you patient? Are you under control? I know that when I'm in a traffic jam, I'm, I'm patient. <laughs> my, my wife's not here. She won't be here till next hour. So I, I, I can say anything I want. She, she, you know. When that person rear-ended you that maybe had no insurance, what came out of you? What, what, what fruit was hanging on the vine at that moment? When you see something posted on a Facebook page that you disagree with, how do you respond? Are your words filled with grace and goodness? 
Beloved, God uses trials to show you what era of your life you just need to work on. And there can be times when you may look and go, man, you know, I, I see a lot of love and joy and peace in my life. But wow, patience isn't there. And just about the time you get the patience under control, all of a sudden the, the fruit of love falls off the tree. And, you, you know, you're, you're always kind of looking at those things. And it's the trials and the troubles of life that kind of expose what area you need to work on. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, trials and troubles are like blows to the body. But remember, these blows will only bring out what's inside of you. That's all they're going to do is just expose what's happening in your life right now. And the second way God uses problems in our lives is God uses problems to grow us. Yes, he wants to expose some things that we need to work on, but he also uses them to grow us. In other words, God uses the troubles of life to help you become more acquainted with your Savior. He uses the problems of life to help mold you into the image of his Son, Paul says in Romans 8, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Listen, Christian, you weren't saved so that we could all just come together, you know, us four, no more, and it's over. The Holy Spirit has come into your life for a reason, that you would become more and more and more and more, you know, conformed into the image of his son. Remember, in Genesis 1 and 2, you were made in the image of God. In Genesis 3, the image gets marred because of sin. And when you receive Christ into your life, it's about the image being restored into the very likeness of his son. Now, none of us are going to be Jesus. <laughs> none of us are even going to be close but God saves us. He puts a spirit within us that we would become more and more like his son. God wants you to think the way Jesus thinks. God wants you to act the way Jesus acts. God wants you to love the way Jesus loves. He wants you to value the things that Jesus valued and the tool that God uses more than any other to accomplish this, unfortunately, are problems. Troubles, trials, sufferings. If there was one verse that best described the life of Jesus, it might be Galatians chapter five, right? Verses 22 and 23. You see, Jesus was love. Jesus was joy. Jesus was peace. He was patient. He was kind. He was good. He was gentle. He was self-controlled. And these are the very characteristics that God wants his people to, 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 to demonstrate or produce in our lives. And to accomplish this, God allows situations. He allows traffic jams on McHenry Avenue. He allows things to happen just to see what might come out in your life. That's what I want you to do right now. I want you to think about something. Right now, I want you to think about some bummer or problem you're facing right now. Maybe, uh, maybe you got fired for no apparent reason. Last week wasn't a good week in your life. Maybe the, the company just downsized and you were caught in the middle of it. Maybe your spouse told you this week that they don't love you anymore and they're leaving. Maybe your teenager is just totally out of control. 
Maybe you've got a, a dad who's just gone sideways. Maybe, maybe, you know, someone you love is facing a serious illness. Maybe you this week, you know, found out you got cancer, you got a lump, but there's not supposed to be one. Someone you love maybe just passed away or died. I, I want you to think about some bummer, trial, something like that that you're, you're, you're going through. What do you think God's trying to expose in your life? What do you think he's trying to teach you? What area of your life is God wanting you to grow in that you might be more like his son? Because he's up to something. He's not some mean, angry God who just allows things to happen, you know. All right, I feel good about that, man. That guy's life's all screwed up. That's not our God. Our God is, 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 is way more loving and caring than that. Yes, he allows the natural consequences of life to take place. But for the believer, he uses those for his glory. What is it? What is it that God's trying to expose in, in your life? God doesn't waste trials on his people. Romans 8 says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. It doesn't say that all things are, are good, but in all things God can bring good out of them, even the hard things of life if you're a believer. No. None of us like going through sufferings. God is not the author of all the suffering that you're going through. He allows it to happen. God allows the natural things of life to happen. I've, I've told you this before, the story where we have this cabinet in our house. And this cabinet is where all the good stuff is. It's where the chips are at, you know, and, and and I, you know, it's about this, and I open it up, and there's all the stuff, and sometimes I just stare in there, and only men get this. And wives, you probably look at your husbands at time and go, what is he doing? It's almost like we're, we're meditating. <laughs> it could be with the refrigerator, it could be with the, and it's like, and you look at us like we're crazy. I have that, I, and I'm looking, and, and there's a bag of chips, and I go for the chips, and the chips fall, they're on the floor. I, I opened the thing, the chips fell, I bent down to get the chips. Okay, it's a, a nanosecond. I, it's a, I, the chips fall, a nanosecond. I go down, and in that nanosecond, I forget the door's open. Okay? So, so, so I go down, and it's just a, a like just that nanosecond, I forget. And I'm down there. Now, I come up, boom! Right? You've all done it. Oh, Christian, here's the deal. We all want a God that shuts the door, right? <laughs> we want a God who doesn't make us suffer. And God's in heaven going, dude, you, you're the dumb guy. You opened the thing. And, <laughs> and in a nanosecond, you forgot the chip. You know, it's not my fault. Bam. 
Now, every so often, God will step into humanity and shut the door. We call those miracles. And the reason why they're called miracles is because he doesn't do them very often. But in this life, God allows the natural consequences of life to go on, and so we, we suffer. We go through trials, we go through hard times and all of that, but here's the bottom line. Even those little irritations, God's exposing something in your life and he's trying to grow you more and more into the image of his son. And let me tell you something, when you grasp that, that concept, that one of the benefits of knowing Christ is that uh, your trials and your troubles are actually for your benefit, when you grasp that, revolutionize your life. Change your life. It's just, it literally will change your life when you understand that as a follower of Christ, as crummy as this moment is, as painful as this moment is, whatever, that God's actually using it. Man. I uh, saw a, a, a man who left here last night and had a real bummer happen to him. He was back here this morning. And he said, man, this bummer happened and I immediately thought about this, your message. And it, it, just, it just changed my attitude. I knew God was up to something. And what is it, God? I know you're trying to make me more like your son. And so why is it that I've got to kind of go through this moment right here? Instead of being all angry and upset and whatever, just to stop and go, wait a minute, I'm a follower of yours. And you're up to something in my life. N -n number five, benefit number, benefit number five. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you experience God's love through the Holy Spirit. Because of your relationship with God, you experience God's love through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse five. And hope does not disappoint us the Bible says, because God has poured out, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Here's the deal, whenever a person gives their life over to Jesus Christ, they enter into this, I don't know, spiritual love relationship with God and it lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. God never stops loving you, beloved. Now listen to me, listen. I want to make this clear that this is not a, talking about your love for God. Because Christian, if you're honest, there are times when you probably have stopped loving him. You got angry, you got mad, something was happening, and why is this happening to me, God? This verse is talking about God's love for you. God loves you. Once you entered into that relationship with the Father and he gave you his son, his son came into your life. The Holy Spirit in you is just this unbelievable reservoir of love. To me, this is one of the most amazing, one of the most mind-blowing things about God or the, the gospel. I mean, we're so sinful and wicked and evil and rebellious that God would even care about us is amazing, let alone love us, right? You see, we deserve death, we deserve punishment, we deserve hell, but instead we get love. <laughs> and not just a little bit of love, but God pours out. You see those two words? God pours out his love to all who would accept him. God takes this unbelievable, undescribable love and he, 
and he pours it out within our hearts. I um, want you to imagine something here. I want you to imagine that this cup is you, okay, and this water and this pitcher is God's love. And Paul, in this text, says that God pours his love into our lives. Isn't that great? That God's love would be in you. And I'll tell you right now, you know what's interesting is just having a little bit of God's love in your life would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But that's not what that says. This is what it says. That God pours his love into your life. It just keeps flowing and keeps flowing and keeps flowing and keeps flowing. He doesn't give you a little. He just keeps flowing. Now, this is a human illustration. I just ran out. God doesn't run out. He just keeps filling your life and filling your life and filling your life. He just keeps pouring out his love into your life. He just keeps pouring it out and pouring it out and pouring it out into your life. It's one of the just crazy Truths of scripture. I know me. I'm very acquainted with my sin. And to think that God loves me to that degree. You see, listen, listen. What motivates us as believers to um, come and worship what motivates us as, as uh, believers to come with our gifts and say, God, here's my love gift to you. What motivates us as believers to serve him, whether it's in the choir, or the orchestra, uh, you know, in children's ministries, uh, youth ministries, the cafe, all the different places that you can serve the Lord. What motivates us isn't the fact that, you know, God's following us around going, okay, man, you don't, you don't give, man, Bink. you don't serve, man, I'm going to be all over you like a cheap suit, man. And so we just kind of, okay, here's a gift, you know, and, you know, okay, I'll serve. No, what motivates us is this unbelievable love that he has for us, that he just keeps pouring it out and pouring it out. That's what makes us go, wow, I want to come here on a Sunday morning. This, this is a, this is a, 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 a get to. Man, I, I want to, I can hardly wait for that basket to go by where I get to worship him through a gift. That's not a have to. Oh man, you know, got to pull a five out of my wallet and, and give it to God. No. What motivates us is to, to love kids and hold babies and come down here on Wednesday nights and rehearse and do all the things we do. Isn't because God, we think God's angry or mad or he's gonna love us more. No, God says, hey, here's the deal. If you don't give, if you don't serve, he's just pouring his love out. Regardless of what you do, Christian. And if that doesn't somehow impact your soul to have a whole different view of coming together and worshiping and serving and fellowshipping and giving and all the things that we do or getting into his word. You don't get it. 
You just don't, you just don't get the gospel. You, you don't get the good news. You, you don't get the Savior. You don't understand the Messiah. Because when you really get it, you just go, I, I got to do this. I want to do this. I couldn't imagine not doing it. I couldn't imagine it. Because he's so unbelievably gracious. Don't you have a human in your life who they just love you and they care about you? And when you see them, you, you just, you want to be with them. You want to help them. You want to do whatever because they're just so gracious. And then you probably have a humanoid in your life that's, yeah, they're in your life. And you'll smile when you're around them because if you don't, there's trouble, right? So you fake it. So, man, I have to be around that soul. Not I get to be around that soul. And when you start to look at some of these great truths that are found here in Romans chapter five, and Lord willing, we're gonna, there's more next week we're gonna look at. It just keeps getting better. Romans five is unbelievable. And, and by the way, the whole vibe in church, remember the first three chapters? Yeah. It was all about sin. People were leaving like this. It's good. <laughs> I was glad to be at church, you know, that was, that was fantastic. You know, I wasn't, it was crummy. I had to get through that though, because the Bible talks about how crummy sin is. And then, you know, Paul turns the corner and he begins to talk about Christ, the good news. And now all of a sudden the whole vibe in here has changed the last few weeks, hasn't it? It's like, wow, this is fantastic. I love church. I love this whole thing. Yeah. Because of the good news. Without any good news, we're just, we've got nothing to celebrate. And so people over in the venue wanted to stand, everybody in here stand. And I just want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Close your eyes over in the venue. And here's your moment, I guess, believer, just to say, hey, Lord, I need to thank you. I was reminded today of just some wonderful truths. And so, Jesus, I, I just want to thank you. Thank you that my problems have a purpose. Thank you that because of the Holy Spirit being in my life, I get to experience the outpouring of your love in my life. Maybe you might think back to even last week. Lord, thank you that I have peace with you, access to you. I'm going to be in heaven someday. Just you get a moment to just thank the Lord. And while your eyes are closed, if, if you're here and this morning somehow the Lord opened your eyes, to the truth of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. And you've never given your life to Christ. But today God opened your eyes and it was the Lord. He did it. And you want to enter into this unbelievable relationship with Jesus Christ. All you have to do is go into the altar room. Our 
elders and pastors and spiritual leaders of our church are in there and they'd love to rejoice with you, pray with you. And you could walk out of here today a different soul. You could walk out of here today knowing that these benefits that I talked about would be true in your life today. There's also, uh, you could do that over in the venue also. Lord, thank you, God, for our time today. I enjoyed the quartet. I enjoyed the, the choir. Lord, thank you for all of the vets that are here. And may we all be able to find one or two or six of them and say thank you to them as they walk around our, our facility today. Lord, I'm grateful, God, for uh, your word because without it, there's no reason to come. We don't, we don't know any of this. We don't know anything about you, basically. So thank you, God, for giving us the word. May we enjoy knowing that a relationship with you comes with just some sweet, sweet bennies. Thanks, Jesus. May those in prime time have a great time as they enjoy the, the concert over there. And I pray this in your name and all that God's people said. Amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Okay, live for Christ.